Welcome to Bioethics On Air, the program that brings you thoughtful, in-depth commentary on ethics at the crossroads of science, medicine, and daily life. I'm Jose Alot, your host. We are a broadcast of the National Catholic Bioethics Center in Philadelphia. Before introducing our topic and guest today, I would ask that if you enjoy our podcasts and would like to support them, as well as support the mission and ongoing work of the NCBC, to please go to our website, ncbcenter.org, and click on the red Donate button. For decades, the NCBC has offered a 24-7 ethics consultation service for individuals that's free of charge. One year ago, on June 24th of 2022, the Solemnity of the Most Sacred Heart of Jesus, the NCBC launched its new Personal Consultations Department built around the service. But what is an ethics consultation? Who is it for and how does it work? And why did the NCBC create a whole new department around it? Joining me today to discuss these and other issues is the director of the NCBC's new Personal Consultations Department, Dr. John DiCamillo. John is an NCBC ethicist, a colleague, and a multiple-time bioethics on-air guest. John DiCamillo, welcome back once again to Bioethics On Air. Hey, Joe. Good to be back. Great to be back talking to you as well. And I just have to say that it's going to be nice talking to you about something other than COVID. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Thrilling. Yes. No more COVID. We're done with it. Um, (laughs) So it's a good thing. So listeners should know John. Uh, He has been on the podcast many times. And um, if you don't, his his bio information is I'm, I'm putting a link in the in the show notes, and and you can listen to previous podcasts where John talks about um, his background. But want to get right into our topic of discussion for today. So, John, I was wondering before we get into the nitty gritty, can you give our listeners some general information about the NCBC's free ethics, uh, free ethics, free consult service? In short, what is it? Yeah, absolutely. So. Essentially, for decades now, uh, as you know, uh, we've been offering this service uh, where anybody can call us or email us uh, with questions about uh, healthcare decisions uh, or other questions about biomedical research or anything essentially at the intersection of Catholic moral theology and ethics with science and medicine. Uh, Trying to make decisions is usually the the key element uh, of an ethics consultation. Um, but, uh, you know, it's a funny thing because when you hear consultation or ethics consultation, it kind of sounds scary, (laughs) you know, it sounds like it's an academic or maybe it's something expensive or, you know, uh, oh my goodness, like lawyers come to mind, but consultation for us, the service we've always provided is actually very personal. Mm -hmm. Um, it's something that is confidential. It's something that is, uh, for, Uh, any uh, faithful Catholic or anyone, in fact, even of goodwill who has questions about how the church's teachings apply to specific uh, bioethical uh, issues in their life. So let me ask you, John, does this mean the NCBC tells people what to do? (laughs) Good question. Well, uh, not exactly. (laughs) So, I mean, I would say our service is best characterized as offering guidance Uh, and resources. So while certainly we're here to help form the conscience of an individual who's trying to make a decision, uh, we're not here to tell you this is what you have to do. Uh, You know, we don't take the place of your conscience. We're here to assist you, to accompany you, to help form that conscience with um, appropriate teachings from the church, uh, with expert opinion and with resources that you can read and and do further research uh, on your own as you're trying to come to a conclusion. So, no, we don't tell you what you have to do. (laughs) 
Although this has happened, it probably has happened with you. I just, and I know uh, yeah. we shouldn't mention COVID, but I remember when all the COVID mandate stuff and all the, the vaccine issues were up, I had people actually saying to me, Joe, just tell me what to do. And I, and I was like, no, I can't tell you what to do. Right. So I, I don't know if you've, run, if you've run across that at all, but sometimes people want them, want us to tell them what to oh, do. Oh, absolutely. Yes. So we definitely do get a lot of that. And that's part of the reason I think it's so important to clarify that for people. You know, on the one hand, it's like, don't, don't expect us to sort of force our opinion on you. Um, on the other hand, we're also not here. Like you can't, you can't discharge onto us all the responsibility <laughs> for the moral decisions you need to make, <laughs> you know? So there's, yeah, no, we, I, we've gotten plenty of calls over the years where we have people are like okay well that sounds confusing just tell me what i need to do i'm just like I wish it were that easy but it's your conscience <laughs> right absolutely so you alluded to this in, in one of your previous answers but john who is the consultation service for is it i mean is it just for for healthcare professionals is it for clergy is it for academics who's 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 it for? Yes. So it's actually for everybody. Uh, and that's something that, again, I think sometimes, you know, you, you hear the word ethics consultation or just the term consultation. Again, it kind of gives that sounds like it's something fancy, sounds like it's academic, it's for professionals, it's for, you know, people who are in the field. And of course, it's for those people, but not only. It's actually for everyone and anyone uh, who has these kinds of questions. So we want people to understand that they shouldn't be you know, deterred or afraid if they, they're not quite sure what that consultation means, what they're getting themselves into. Um, it's essentially uh, guidance from people who are very familiar with these issues and with the church's teachings on these issues to try to help anybody uh, who needs to, to make decisions and offer advice, perhaps to friends or family members even, um, about the church's teachings on these topics. So not an exclusive, you know, uh, service for, for professionals or clergy, et cetera, but for everybody. Yeah. I don't know if, if you've had this experience, but I, I've recently, I'm getting, when I'm on console duty, I'll get phone calls or emails and people will say, hey, you know, your number was referred to me by a friend or by a priest yeah. or something like that. I, I, and I've just noticed in recent months, more of an uptick of that sort of referral uh, people coming to us. Have, have you noticed that at all? Yes, actually, I, I've been seeing it more. And I mean, I, I'd like to say maybe in part it's due to some of the work of the department this year, but we'll <laughs> we'll talk about that later. <laughs> but uh, but no, I, I have been seeing and hearing more of that myself. Um, and, and I'm very pleased to hear it because we want the word to get out. And for many years, um, you know, we, we've kind of, in a certain sense, held it close to the vest, um, right. this this free service. And, and now I think the time is when we want to get that word out. Um, I just want to throw out, you know, since you were asking about who it's for again, you know, it's not just a question of who we wish it's for as far as the data on our service that I've been collecting this past year. It, we, it actually shows, you know, we've got about 25 percent of our consults are from healthcare professionals, people involved, you know, pharmacists, biomedical researchers, doctors, medical residents, nurses, um, another 10 percent from clergy. Uh, who contact us, maybe four or five percent are academics, professors, teachers, catechists. Um, but then there's that huge chunk of 60 percent, <laughs> which is, you know, basically it's the average lay Catholic in the pew right. who has questions and concerns. So it's totally intended for everyone. And and also, in fact, is our, our major uh, audience here is is the average Catholic. Yeah. Yep. John, can you give us um, some sense of the range of topics that people will ask about and some of the some of the common questions that people will ask. 
Yeah, absolutely. So I actually, <laughs> I've given a presentation or two about this over the years. I put together a slide one time and it actually turned out to be like six or seven slides with about 40 <laughs> or 50 topics. I was just shooting off the top of my head <laughs> about like the things people, we actually answer that people probably don't think we answer. <laughs> um, but I'm not going to go list all of those right now. Just to, you know, to give you a quick sense, it's, um, you know, we deal with things like do not resuscitate orders. Is it okay, you know, for us to put a do not resuscitate order um, on, you know, mom who's in the hospital, mm -hmm. ailing, et cetera. Uh, how about, is it okay to withdraw assisted nutrition and hydration uh, or cooperation in the workplace, especially healthcare? Could be nurses, could be um, pharmacists, again, you know, dispensing plan B or um, nurses who are wondering about involvement with uh, pre-op, you know, pre-operative pre preparation of someone who's going in for, let's say, gender reassignment surgery. Am I allowed to do that? To what extent? You know, what are the considerations I should be thinking about? Um, proportionality in general in the end of life, you know, things like dialysis or um, the use of ventilators. And uh, also very, very frequently we get questions about uh, contraception and IUDs and whether or not they, these could be used as hormonal interventions to treat menstrual issues, for example, mm -hmm. um, and, and sort of where that fine line is or how to distinguish between something that's uh, a direct sterilization and immoral under church teaching as opposed to uh, perhaps a legitimate direct treatment of a pathological condition. So I'd say that's, uh, you know, we also, you know, won't leave out reproductive technologies. We've got a lot of questions about those too. How can we achieve pregnancy in a morally sound way when we're struggling with infertility? Um, a lot of questions in that, um, you know, vein as well. Um, and I'd say, you know, those are, you know, the most common questions are definitely uh, over the years, looking back is end of life, you know, anything yeah. to do with uh, all those questions about ventilators, proportionality, you know, antibiotic use, hospice, uh, palliative care, et cetera. That's probably about 25%, um, you know, looking back over the past five years, about 25% to 30% of our, our questions are in that area. Um, then I'd say that's followed closely by cooperation questions because those cross every, every area of bioethics because it's, you know, the person who works at the cash register who's wondering if they can check you out, you know, check out the, uh, the person who's paying for a uh, contraceptive, a condom or a plan B or something like that. Uh, goes from that to investment to, you know, again, uh, doctors and nurses in the workplace and those sorts of questions. So cooperation really covers a huge gamut, uh, and that's probably in the 20% range. Then we go down to contraception sterilization, which is almost consistently 15% of our questions every year uh, that deal with that topic. Um, and, you know, then, then you get a smattering of other topics like the reproductive technologies, complications in pregnancy, and what you can do to legitimately treat that without actually committing a direct abortion. Those are more in the range of, you know, seven to 10 percent of our questions uh, and, and down from there. Right. So it is a wide range of topics that we deal with. Yes. <laughs> you never know what you're going to get when you're on consult duty. That so, is true. <laughs> yep, which makes it fun. So, John, walk us through the mechanics of requesting an ethics consultation. So, in other words, how does someone request an ethics consult from the NCBC and what should they expect when they do? So there's two basic ways someone can contact us. Um, the first is by calling us. You could just call our number, 215-877-2660. Um, and then there's an option you know, to uh, leave a message for an ethicist. 
and you will be asked to leave a voicemail with some of your basic contact information and a basic description of your question. Uh, and then an ethicist will, in that situation, typically get back to you in about 24 hours. You know, we try to get back the actual same business mm -hmm. day that somebody calls. Um, but, you know, we, we try to promise within at least a 24 hour period. Um, the other option is that you could send us through our online submission form you go to our website. You can click ask an ethicist on the website. And uh, from there, it'll take you to a submission form where you can, again, put in your basic information, put in what your question is and submit that. Uh, and if you take that route, then you generally would get a response within five business days uh, from someone who would be uh, providing you with a, a basic response uh, to your question. Um, now, what do those responses look like? It depends, obviously, on the mode in part, right? Are you calling or are you emailing? Uh, if you call, obviously, it's going to be a more personal, direct interaction. You know, an ethicist will chat with you, you know, kind of ask you what is, what's your basic question? What's going on here? You know, tell me what's on your mind, what what the, the moral issue is. Uh, and sometimes we have to tease out the question <laughs> because sometimes, right. you know, sometimes the person's not really sure what their question is, but they've got a complicated situation. They're just saying a few things. And it's like, okay, so, you know, let me understand better what it is that you're morally concerned about here. Um, because among other things, we have to clarify that we don't give medical or legal advice. So sometimes, mm -hmm. you know, people yeah. may get confused and think that, you know, we're going to give them medically what the best thing they should do is. But actually, you know, on that point, we have to say, no, you need to talk with your doctor about what the medical options are. Maybe we can give you some resources to some good Catholic docs if you need those, um, you know, to get a morally informed perspective there. But we're here to give you the expertise on the moral principles, the church's authoritative teaching and how to think through the way that that might apply in your situation. And so we'll, we'll talk you through that in a phone call situation. Right. If you, you know, oh, go ahead, Joe. No, I, I was going to, yeah. I was going to, I was going to ask you another question, but if you've got more to say, please go for it. I was just going to finish up on the online submission side. Oh, so if you yep. do on the other side, if you do an online submission, you know, you're going to get a response from an ethicist that will be per typically a little more structured. You know, you're going to get a disclaimer that's written in there that says we only offer, you know, ethical advice forming your conscience, not medical and legal advice. And you're going to get, you know, some key authoritative church teachings that's going to be referenced, some links to where you can find those. You're going to get um, a, a short summary of what the answer to your question is and maybe a little more detailed discussion. And that also depends on what your question is. Um, you know, the ethicist will, will assess in that situation, you know, how deep they are going to go in the response to you. But then you can have follow up also by email uh, in that situation to clarify if there are more questions. So that's the basics of what you're going to get. You're going to get um, either a nice conversation with an ethicist to kind of walk you through, or you're going to get some, you know, short summary and detailed uh, resources that you can go to for further reference in the email route. Yep. All right. So John, previously you, you kind of talked about general topic areas of issues that the NCBC deals with in our consultation service. But I'm wondering if you could give our listeners some examples of questions that people will, will submit to us and the sort of response someone might receive to those questions. Yeah, sure. So actually, you know, to take one uh, classic example of somebody might send a question asking, you know, is it okay? My doctor, you know, a young woman who goes to the doctor, she's single. Um, the doctor says, you know, you've got this menstrual issue. Maybe it's menorrhagia, which is excessive menstrual bleeding or something to this effect. Um, and she's saying, hey, you know, my doctor prescribed an oral contraceptive pill mm -hmm. as a way to address this issue. Um, is that morally okay? Does the church allow me to do that? You know, how do I, how do I think about this? Um, and so let's just, you know, assume that this is an email submission, the way that you might respond would be to say, Hey, you know, 
thanks very much for your question. Um, where we don't give medical advice, we, as I said before, we'll make those disclaimers in there. And then we'll say the short summary is, uh, yes, you could use the oral contraceptive pill uh, with certain caveats. And then we'd go into a more detailed discussion and say, hey, you know, the church is talking, Humane Vitae says in number mm -hmm. such and such that, you know, this is okay. And uh, catechism here says, you know, you can prescribe or take a medication, even if it has an indirect secondary effect of causing temporary um, infertility, which is basically what the pill is doing. Uh, and so, you know, there's a reference to that. And then we're going to say, um, you know, this is an application of what's called the principle of double effect. And the way it works is this, you know, mm -hmm. you have a directly intended therapeutic aim, which is to reduce the excessive menstrual bleeding. Um, that's the direct purpose of the medication. An unintended secondary effect is going to be that you will be infertile while you're on it. Um, but that can be tolerated under this principle. And again, in accordance with those teachings. And then we're going to say, but you know what, we got to go a step further here, you know, so the short answer was, yes, it could be okay. <laughs> the little right. caveat of the maybe right. the conditional, you know, then we got to go a little bit further and say, hey, you should consider though, um, as part of both the principle of double effect and generally for a, a robust uh, sort of virtue based approach to life, you want to see, well, what's the best course of action you could take here? You know, you want to investigate, are there alternative options? Are there things like fertility awareness-based methods or, or interventions, doctors who are trained in these kind of methods who maybe could give you a treatment for that um, menstrual condition without the side effect of harming your fertility or causing other side effects associated with the oral contraceptive pill? Um, and if those are available alternatives, then you should generally prefer those unless you've got no better option. Right. And guess what? Not only that, but we've got some practical resources for you. You right. know, we've got links to facts about fertility to, right. you know, mycatholicdoctor.org. And here you go, link, link, link to those places if you're in need of a good Catholic doctor. So that's an example of uh, what a response might look like to that. <clears throat> yeah, very good. All right. So, John, everything you've explained to us so far is really, and honestly, it's nothing new for the NCBC. So right. you, me, and our colleagues have been responding to ethics consultations for years. And in fact, um, our ethicists have been offering this consultation service for decades. So what's this new personal consultations department all about? So tell us why you proposed it, yeah. <laughs> what are its goals and its activities? Great question. Yeah. So I mean, there's a lot of history behind it, but to make a long story short, essentially, you know, we have, we've all loved this service. We all love helping real people. Um, and, but we've always struggled with the issue of, uh, time, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's sort of something we, we all get put on the schedule and we handle a few consults, you know, maybe let's say five a day or something like that when we're on call. Um, but of course, you know, if it's only five or six of us, <laughs> you know, the, the number of consults and the frequency of being on call can be sometimes challenging with all our other responsibilities at the mm -hmm. NCBC. And, and so we've all, I think, in some way struggled with that limitation. Like, we'd wish we could do more of this, but we feel kind of like we're strapped for time and resources. And that kind of came to a head with COVID and the vaccine mandates, because back in August of 2021, I mean, we had an uptick in consults generally with COVID. Um, the number of consults we were getting per month, we were going, you know, uh, the, the year of, let's say on average, we're doing about 1,500 a year. Uh, prior to COVID. And then we we jumped in 2021 um, to 2,500 
that year, which was, that's like a 65 to 70% increase. <laughs> right. You know, you're going from a hundred a day to a hundred, I'm sorry, a hundred a month to 170 a month with the same number of people fielding consults. So we really felt that, especially because a lot of it was compressed in that August timeframe when the right. vaccine mandates came out and we were just overwhelmed. We're getting in some cases like 40 consults a day. Yep. <laughs> we're like, we, we can't do this. Um, and, I but remember we want to, it but well. we can't. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, in that sort of pressure cooker, um, I just took the step of getting the login to the website and figuring out how to create a web page where people could access all of our resources on COVID vaccine mandates, et cetera, before they got to the submission question, <laughs> you know, so that we weren't getting flooded with all the questions. And it was like, but I experienced this sort of, um, I don't know, it was like a two edged sword. It was like, on the one hand, I, I feel like I solved this problem because now we can handle the flow again, because a lot of people are just going straight to the resources. On the other hand, there was like this sadness, like, but I want to know those people. <laughs> Like, I, we don't know who they are now. They're just, you know, uh, a, a hit on our website or something, you know, the, the traffic on the website. I don't want them to be traffic. I want, they're real people. So um, so that was kind of what got the gears going for me was like, you know, we really need a way to increase our capacity so that we can actually personally handle more consults and not just completely automate or send people to where they can download stuff, which is good. And, right. and many people do that. But but. By the same token, I really got this sense like I want to foster community connection, you know, especially with COVID and everything that was happening where everybody was kind of sent in all different directions and isolated and, and that sort of thing is like we want to connect with people in a personal way. And so that was part of what led me to really begin seriously thinking about what would it mean? What would it look like for us to build a system to have a way of, you know, increasing our staff, increasing the personnel who can actually field consults and maintain that personal dimension. Um, so, so that was, you know, the, the trigger. And so why did I want to do this? Because I wanted to actually maintain real human contact with a real person answering every question and not just send everybody directly to resources. Um, and I wanted to, um, you know, increase our capacity so that even when we were able to get through that, that overload in COVID, it's like, Hey, you know, we want I want us to build that up so that we can actually reach not just 1500, not 2,500, but I want to get us to feeling 10,000 someday, you know, like 10,000 mm. a year. I want, uh, that's the vision I, I see is like we real contacts with real people, but you need more people to do that. So anyway, right. I set three goals for the department. You know, one is to, um, increase access to expand access to this service, which meant finding a way to build capacity. How can we physically like, you know, have sufficient bodies <laughs> to right. field yep. and answer all these emails and phone calls? Uh, second was uh, training. I wanted to use this as a way to train new ethicists, new Catholic ethicists. There's a, a young generation of, you know, ethicists coming in who are in training, doing their masters, doing their PhDs, mm -hmm. finishing them recently, who want to get into this, who admire NCBC and the work we're doing, and they don't necessarily have an avenue for, for being able to accomplish that. Right. And so I say, you know what, I want, us, I want us to be training them in how to actually field real consults, not just the academic part of things. And then finally, uh, third, to better engage personally with people. So um, that means, you know, following up on consults, tracking those consults better so that we can see, hey, did we miss somebody, you know, um, increasing promotion of the service and, um, you know, looking for supporters and donations and that sort of thing specifically for this service so that we can make all this happen. So that was the sort of threefold objectives that I have for the department is to 
um, expand access, to train new ethicists, and to uh, personally engage better with the people who contact us and, and seek our, our help and support. Yeah, that's very well stated, and we're gonna we're gonna come back and, and talk uh, unpack some of those goals a little bit in, in more detail as we move forward in the interview. But I, I wanted to ask you, John. So the the personal consultations department is consecrated to the Sacred Heart of Jesus, and I'm wondering why you made that decision uh, to make that consecration right from the very beginning. That is a great question, um, and I knew that if this kind of idea that was percolating in my mind was was to be serious or to become in any way successful um it had to start with our lord you know it had to start with and, and come from and and work through his will and not just mine um and so it was very important for me to find a saint or you know uh, ultimately of course i landed on the sacred heart of jesus itself but but finding a consecration a patron for this particular department was very important to me and i spent a good bit of time reflecting on that over a period of months you know prior to the, the launch and you know at a certain point it, it came to me in praying and reflecting and actually reciting the litany of the sacred heart um i, I was struck one day uh with one of the the invocations in the sacred heart which is you know the sacred heart in whom are all treasures of wisdom and knowledge and the reason that struck me, Joe, is because, as you know from the work we do, sometimes it can be very academic. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it can be yep. abstract. Absolutely. It can yep. be, you know, intellectual, nuanced, complex. You know, you got to be able to handle all these these highfalutin concepts, et cetera. And it's true. You know, there, there's a depth there. I'm not minimizing it all. But the thing that I've sometimes felt is is a struggle is to connect this great sort of mind or intellect uh, or knowledge that the NCBC is well known for with the deep lived element of the heart, of the personal, of the, you know, human. And so the, the this, this invocation that calls the heart of Jesus itself the source of all wisdom and knowledge, to me was like, whoa, that's the mind-heart connection right there. Like the heart of Jesus is actually the source of wisdom and knowledge. You know, it's not the brain of Jesus, <laughs> you know, and so that that was just like, hey, wow, this is this is very fitting. And so for the consultations department in particular, where we're engaging with real people in their real lives or they're struggling with whether it's infertility or whether it's questions about proper medical treatments or potentially losing the life of an unborn child as an indirect consequence of a legitimate action and all these kinds of things. I mean, these are can be heart rending situations that people are struggling with. And it's their their spiritual life it's their inner life. It's not just an intellectual question. You know, it's very real. It's very practical. It's, it's you know, uh, directly impacting him. So to me, that that just was like, wow, this is the catalyst. This is, this is the piece, the linchpin that pulls it together is that the sacred heart itself, the very heart of our Lord Jesus, his physical heart, which has intimate ties also to our Eucharistic Lord, mm -hmm. tied to the Feast of Corpus Christi, even in terms of the calendar, um, that is the source of knowledge and wisdom. And I want that message to come through to people who consider, you know, whether they are going to contact us for a consultation. When they see in the image of the sacred heart, you know, and, and they can feel a closeness, a human closeness to our Lord that also translates into the, the conscience formation and the mind that goes with it together. And, you know, feel that, that we are close to them, we're close to them, their hearts, their suffering, our Lord is close to us and our suffering, and our Lord is merciful, his merciful sacred heart, which understands that sometimes even with the most information you can have, 
you still don't necessarily have the final answer, right? right. As we know. And so you, we really do have to take it to the Lord in prayer and discernment and ask for his will when we've done our due diligence on the information side. So yeah. the, the consecration is on the personal consultations webpage, correct? The actual yes. prayer of consecration. So we're, we're going to link that in the show notes so that, yes. so that people can actually see the consecration um, to yes. the Sacred Heart. And that was some time, you know, I spent some time also actually writing that prayer. I, I took, you know, the prayer of St. Gertrude as the starting point uh, on the Sacred Heart. It was just gorgeous about, you know, the, the importance of making the rule, the will of our Father, also the rule of our desires and our actions. And then I wrote, you know, trying to personalize it to our personal consultation service and the needs of the people who contact us to, to make that consecration. And I pray it every day before work, uh, right at the, the start of the day, usually um, sort of renewing that consecration and, and you know, wanting our Lord to to truly be the, the source and the, the moving power behind this department and its works, uh, I think is, is critical. Yeah. And really interestingly, that June 24th of 2022 is the date that the, the personal or the, the new uh, personal consultations department was launched. It was the uh, the feast of the Sacred Heart of Jesus, and it also just happened to be the day that the U.S. Supreme Court officially released their Dobbs. Yeah, decision. so it was exactly it was, it, was, it, was a, it was a banner day all around. I know, <laughs> amazing, amazing, and in, in God's providence, beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Loved it. So anyway, so we're, we're, I want to um, get into talking about the the fellows and interns and and how you know, you're 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 flushing out the goals here. But but before getting into that, I I just have to ask you what's what's new or different about the consultations department since its relaunch last June? Yeah, well, I mean, just to clarify, I mean, technically it, it's launching for the first time as a department. You know, okay. the service okay. has existed forever. The so right. the department has never existed as a department. You know, we've had, uh, but uh, so so in this sense, so it's first launched uh, as a department last June. And what's different? I would say, you know, number one is that we have um, a system in place now for tracking systematically all of the consultations that come in. We, you always uh, make fun of me for my spreadsheets, but I like spreadsheets. <laughs> I do make fun of him for his spreadsheets. John D. Camillo, for anybody, if you ever have any questions about how to use uh, Microsoft Excel, just just contact John D. Camillo because he'll tell you. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we're, we're actually trying to be, you know, um, having a place where we can store and track better all of the consults that are coming through, who's responsible for which consult, whether it's been answered. Um, you know, we're, we're creating policies and procedures for how interns and fellows respond to consults, for example, creating response frameworks also for how interns and fellows will respond. Um, I've kind of taken a lot of the templates that I've written for my own purposes over the years, and I've turned those into um, the, the foundations for a, a framework email response, essentially, uh, which still has to be personalized by the individual personal responder, um, but which serves as creating some kind of consistency of how emails go out and what they generally look like, the basic points that they're generally supposed to hit, you know, any disclaimers and such that need to be in there and those sorts of things. So that's definitely something that that looks different, that people would would notice, let's say, this past year, if they're getting an answer from an intern or a fellow. Um, than they would have noticed, you know, two years ago or any time prior. So there's that greater sense of consistency uh, in the style of response that's that's coming along with this. Um, and you know, I would say, yeah, th those are kind of the the biggest things. And also, there's an increase in 
uh, personal engagement. In other words, we have um, been making a point of answering, you know, anyone who gives us a donation, for example, gets a personal response by email from one of the fellows or myself, thanking them for that donation for personal consultations um, and, and these sorts of things. So, I mean, I won't go on and on, but the, there are these, there are little things, let's put it this way. There are little things, a lot of them are behind the scenes and a lot of people may not be seeing them yet because a lot of it has been internal behind the scenes work mm -hmm. that uh, is enabling us to build up that capacity to, to increase our ability to personally engage and also again to start training new ethicists uh, through the interns and fellows. So the, the biggest way it's, it's going to be seen externally is through those who are getting answers to, or responses from interns and fellows. Uh, and I expect a lot more of it to become visible in the coming year and moving forward as we start to emphasize more our uh, promotion of the service. This concludes part one of my interview with John D. Camillo on the NCBC's new Personal Consultations Department. In part two, John focuses on the Center's Fellows and Interns program, explaining its rationale, as well as the important work our fellows and interns are currently doing. He also looks ahead and explains how our fellows and interns can both support and serve the NCBC in the future. For more information on the topics discussed today and other bioethical issues, please visit our website, ncbcenter.org, where you can subscribe to our newsletter as well as our publications, Ethics and Medics, and the National Catholic Bioethics Quarterly. The views expressed on bioethics on air are not necessarily those of the National Catholic Bioethics Center. If you have comments or questions about this or any of our podcasts, please contact me, your host, Joe Zalot, at jzalot at ncbcenter.org. Archived editions of the podcasts are available on our website. Please hover on the blogs and podcasts button on the main page and then click bioethics on air. Thank you for listening and may God's peace be with you.